0: it's Luke 22, verses 31 to 34. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny Deny three times that you know me. Thanks, Sean. Peter, can I come and, if you'd like to come and I'll pray for you. So, Jesus, I ask for your um, blessing, your anointing on Peter today. Pray that you'd anoint his words. Pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would speak through them, that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. Amen. morning, everybody. We're going to be looking a little bit this morning at Peter's story, and particularly with through the lens of that little episode with Jesus. Satan has asked you, Simon, to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you turn back, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Now, the shortest statement of faith in the New Testament, the first Christian creed is really, really easy. And it's this, it's Jesus is Lord. So that's the basic Christian creed. Jesus is Lord. And it comes from Romans 10, 9. It's Paul. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, later on, under various sorts of pressures, the creeds that the church developed got longer and more complicated. But this is the basic confession of faith it was very controversial then it's just as controversial now then and in many places today you could lose your life if you acted as if it was true here and now you can lose your job your promotion certainly your reputation and your prospects maybe your liberty if you are determined to live as if Jesus was Lord and over the next half term as we think about the footsteps of Jesus we're going to unpack a little bit what it means if Jesus is Lord and last week John White spoke very powerfully about the resurrection and the road to Emmaus and the two Disciples who met Jesus as they were leaving behind everything that had happened. And of course, the resurrection authenticates everything that Jesus did and taught. And there are two kinds of conversion in the Bible. There's the Paul on the Damascus Road you know, someone who's nowhere with God, maybe doesn't even think God exists, like, you know, some of, some of the emperors that people like Daniel met, and um, God meets them, and it's kind of... and turns their life right round. And then there's the Peter sort of conversion, and the Emmaus Road sort of conversion, and those conversions can happen either side of a decision to follow Jesus. So they can happen before you decide to follow Jesus, but they can also happen after you decide to follow Jesus. And at the Last Supper, Peter, like the rest, was kind of a King David-style messianic warrior at heart. He definitely said yes to following Jesus. He definitely said yes to Jesus. Now, Jesus said, come and follow me. Peter was up for it. But what Peter said yes to was not what Jesus had in mind. Peter's version was kind of more how human beings would do it. Not how God does things. It was a lot less costly for a start. And it, and it wouldn't last. Now, it wasn't sustainable and And Jesus knew that. He knew what would happen. He understood that Peter's commitment to him, Jesus, was bound up with Peter's own ambitions and hopes and fears and and dreams and appetites and all of that. His his commitment to Jesus was real, but it was bound up with all this other stuff and it was going to come crashing down, which didn't make any difference to Jesus in terms of how much he loved Peter which didn't make any difference to Jesus in terms of the job he'd given Peter or his calling. And when Satan did sift Peter's heart, when Peter failed the test, as Jesus said he would, Peter was devastated. I mean, he was really broken. And yes, he was a witness to the resurrection, He was there in the upper room. Now he saw the risen Lord. And yes he went back to Galilee as Jesus said, you know, so I'm going to teach you some more. Go back to Galilee. I'll meet you there. But when they went back to Galilee, Peter who should have been leading the twelve or the other ten as they were now, went fishing. Kind of, you know, yeah I know but I've I've got a fishing business. That's that's what's important to me right now. And it wasn't sorted until Jesus met Peter on the beach and talked to him about love. Every commitment to Jesus always involves submission. Peter had to give up a lot of his hopes and dreams not all of them you know he loved the kingdom not all of them but he'd shaped it around his own dreams and ambitions and appetites and desires it was the kind of kingdom where Jesus rules and has authority and power and kind of Peter's there as the prime minister and um, you know it's going really nicely and yes all the great stuff happens and yes I get more like God and you know but it you know, that's, that's the shape of it. And Peter knew that he was much more committed than all the other disciples. I mean, he made that very clear to everybody. He knew he was much better than they were. You know, Lord, even if all of them run away, and frankly, it's quite likely, even if all of them run away, I'm going to go to prison and to death with you. He, he knew he was much better than the others and so when Jesus met Peter on the beach, he talked to Peter about love. Peter, do you love me more than these? You know, do you love me more than they do? Do you really love me more than they do? And you'll notice that Peter doesn't answer that question. We, we haven't read it today. It's in, um, it's in John's Gospel. Peter didn't answer that question. Do you love me more than these. He'd stop doing the comparison thing. He'd stop doing the competitive thing. He'd just said, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. Jesus asked that three times. Peter had to give up his hopes and dreams. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He had to give that up. He had to give it up for the harvest that Jesus wanted, the go and make disciples, not just in Jerusalem and Judea, but to the ends of the earth. And we can see from what happened later in Acts that Peter really was converted. I mean, he really was, he really did experience that second time of conversion. He really did walk in Jesus' footsteps. It was a struggle sometimes. He clashed with Paul, probably clashed with others as well. But when it really mattered, he did it. You know, those key moments like with the the Roman centurion Cornelius becoming a Christian, being baptised, without being circumcised. You know, those key moments when Peter had to choose, he walked in the footsteps of Jesus. He needed a lot of help, but he did it. Now, submission to Jesus is really, really hard for us. And like Peter, we have a tendency to kind of mix it up with our own hopes and dreams, our appetites, our ambitions, our desire for approval. We have a really strong tendency to kind of wrap that round our commitment to Jesus. And submission to Jesus is hard for us. And our culture makes it even worse. Because our culture thinks we are autonomous, self-regulating, independent entities who create righteousness inside our heads and can do anything we want and have the right to do anything we like as long as it doesn't infringe other people's rights, which is a bit tricky sometimes, but that's what we basically believe. We're autonomous, independent. We don't need anybody to tell us who we are. We certainly don't need God to tell us who we are. We have the right to do and to be anything we want. And as a culture, we are in denial. We're in denial about the social influences that shape us so strongly. We're so individualistic. We think it's about me and my decision-making. But we are so strongly shaped. We are social beings. We are shaped by the people around us so strongly. I mean, just look at what we're all wearing. You, you, You know, you think that's your choice. But just look at what we're all wearing and how similar it is in so many ways we are so shaped by the culture we live in and by each other and we're in denial about that and we're in denial about our spiritual enemy satan now who works to destroy human lives who works to destroy us we're in denial about satan and we have a strong ten- tendency to avoid responsibility and see ourselves as victims. And that's, that's the air that we breathe every day. It's in just about every media thing you'll ever see. You know, it's there in our institutions, it's there in our workplaces. That's the air we breathe. And it makes it really, really hard to choose day after day to submit to Jesus. But the gospel sees us as so much higher than that. So much more than that. Not just material beings in a material world, you know, we've got our 80 years and then that's it. The gospel sees us as so much more than that has made in God's image and a delight to his heart and has chosen to spend eternity with him and to live in joy and to live in grace and to live at peace with ourselves and everybody else. You know, that just little self-autonomous material thing that's about getting money and resources for itself and competing with everybody else, you know, the gospel has so much more for humanity than that miserable shrunken little view of what it is to be a person the gospel's so much higher but the gospel also sees us as much more broken than our culture does because in the beginning we were deceived by the enemy and we rebelled against god we broke our covenant with God in favor of the enemy and we open the door to evil into our world and into our children's worlds. And in between that brokenness and the made in the image of God is the promise and the invitation and the challenge of the gospel. God is going to put everything right. He's going to renew creation. And in the end, our catastrophe is going to be overturned. And our image, our made in the image of God is going to be unflawed. We're going to be as we were designed to be. And God is going to put it right and he's done it. At his own cost. He was the sacrifice. No eye has seen or human heart understood the good things that God has prepared. But that invitation, the invitation of the gospel, challenges the culture we live in. It is not true that we are autonomous self-regulating, independent entities who can just shape reality inside our own heads. It's not true. We're actually sinners. Broken by the results of the fall. Desperately in need of God's grace. And we have the option of living under the power of Satan or committing and submitting to Jesus. That's the option that we have. And we don't like that. And Jesus' heart is for our freedom and blessing. And it's one of the paradoxes of human life that as we submit to Jesus so we find joy and freedom and delight and gladness and everything else but the path to up starts down it starts by submitting to Jesus which means that he is Lord and you and I are not the Lord it's either the kingdom of God or the rule of darkness and that offends human pride and it always has done And societies and cultures tend to do one of two things. They either co-opt God in the service of the ruling authorities, you know, so they kind of co-opt religion, enforce it, you have religious police and everything else, and they kind of emphasize the bit of of whatever religion it is that says that they're in charge and you ought to obey them. So societies either co-opt religion, and there's plenty of that in the world today, And and if you do that, you get the spirituality of the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, you get that very, very kind of self-righteous type of behavior, looks very nice on the outside, rather rotten underneath, where everybody is kind of keeping up the, you know, this is what we're for, but the reality underneath is very different. And the New Testament word for that is hypocrisy, and Jesus spoke so powerfully about it. Or, which is us, you get societies that rebel against God completely or deny that he exists, which comes to the same thing. Declaring that we are sufficient and complete on our own and we don't need God to tell us what to do, which is essentially what the snake told Adam and Eve. And societies like ours tend to regard all religions as equal, but what they mean by that is equally false. Now, that denial and rebellion is the air that we breathe every day. And I'm not saying this to trash our culture. There are many good things as well. I don't want to go back to Victorian England. I really don't. And if we were talking to people about God, that's probably not where we would start with most people. What I'm trying to do is highlight the way the air we breathe makes it hard for us to submit to Jesus. Makes it really hard for us to submit to Jesus. Hard to say, Jesus, you are the Lord and I am not the Lord. And of course, there's that bit of us, what the Bible calls the flesh, that pulls away from God, that actually resists, resists him day by day. And this kind of cultural air chimes in with that. And if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, you're here today, but for whatever reason, uh, you haven't said yes to Jesus yet then the invitation is to see the world as the Bible sees it with you yourself made in God's image and infinitely precious to him but also broken by the fall and in need of God's grace and forgiveness which means that you like all of us must come to the cross must come to the cross but if you're listening and you are a Christian and you have already said yes to Jesus at one level or another then it's a different challenge it's not a one time decision because you also have the choice to respond like Peter did on the beach. When Jesus highlighted something for Peter, do you love me and do you want to compete with the other disciples about how much you do? Peter surrendered. He said, no, Lord, not my way. You know, not what I dreamed, me as your prime minister. Not what I dreamed. But what you want to do. I'll go for that now. And, and sometimes the challenge to submit is about a moral issue, you know, especially if you're caught in something that you're not dealing with. You know, you're caught in the love of money or you're caught in pornography or, you know, something else like that and you're not dealing with it. You're not, you just, you know, you're not dealing with it. So sometimes that call... Jesus is Lord is about something that you're just not dealing with and you need to deal with it. But my my sense is, for most of us, it's more about the path you're on. It's more about what you're about right now and what you're going for. What your ambitions and hopes and dreams are and whether they are Jesus ambitions and hopes and dreams or kind of whether you've wrapped them around other things like a career you know things things that you want for yourself you're kind of wrapping that around the gospel and you need to give the Holy Spirit the chance to rip it away which is very painful it is very painful You notice that when Jesus spoke to Peter on the beach he just said two things really the first was do you love me and then when Peter said yes he said feed my sheep feed my lambs take care of the sheep and the lambs and in submitting to Jesus Peter had to commit to God's people the people of Jesus as well He couldn't just do it on his own and and I wonder whether after the resurrection you know Peter was really pissed at the rest of the disciples you know because it often goes like that you know when you've fallen at something and you haven't done well you, you kind of, you look around to see who else is in the lens. And I, I would not be, the Bible doesn't say, but I would not be surprised if Peter's thinking, you know what? Yes, I blew it in the courtyard. But at least I was there in the courtyard. You know, where were the rest of you? Miles away. You know, and I maybe didn't say it. But there's, you know, there's something about that decision to go back fishing that says what he thought about leading the rest of the the disciples. He weren't even in the courtyard. It's very easy to get that kind of mentality with our brothers and sisters. And goodness knows there's enough about every one of us for other people to get offended with if they want to. But Jesus wasn't having any of it. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Do the job I've given you to do. Love your brothers and sisters. Submit yourself to them as well. Work with them. That's the deal. That's the deal. And is that your heart with your brothers and sisters? Or are you offended? that they're not following Jesus strongly enough or any other reason that they annoy you. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Submission is always a huge issue for us. We're always far less submitted than we think. It's just how it is. But the bit that we can do is to bring ourselves to God and to say, Look, Lord, my choice is Jesus is Lord. That's my choice. That's the desire of my heart. And where I'm not doing it, you have permission to highlight it and call me out on it. And that's what I'm inviting you to do today. And we're going to take a communion together in a little while, but I, I would like to invite you to do it slightly differently. And when you put your hand out for the bread to make that prayer as you do it. Jesus, you are Lord. You have permission to call me out where I am not submitted. And as you drink the wine, kind of with it, as you drink the blood of the new covenant, as you drink the memory of the death of Jesus to remember that you're made in his image and that you are destined for joy. And the enemy will always try and cheat you and tell you that if you go for submission, you will lose out in a hundred different ways. But the truth is opposite. If you go for submission, you will gain beyond your ability to imagine. So take the wine to remember the joy of the kingdom that God sets before you. And I think if that's all right with Anne, we'll go straight into that right now, into the communion, kind of waiting for the children. So we might just stand together. And we might just take a moment or two of quiet as we prepare to come. Let's pray together. Lord, would you make the cry of our hearts, the echo of our wills, Jesus is Lord. Would you be our Lord, not just in our words, but in the way we live, in the way we treat each other, in the way we think of ourselves. in the way we relate to people who are lost, but you love them. And God, would you remind us of the joy that's set before us, and that it is springtime, even if it's contested. Thank you, Lord.